You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Leviticus 27.30 Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 17, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Job 41, 11, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24, 1, a psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, starting in verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine, cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Haggai 2, 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. If you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Friends, let me be real honest with you. God does not want to become some modern day business partner with you. The God who owns it all, he wants to own you. That doesn't mean you don't have value. That doesn't mean he isn't loving and kind. That doesn't mean he doesn't want fellowship with you. That doesn't mean he's not going to work through you. That doesn't mean he won't use you in profound and eternal ways. But God did not create you because he was a lonely God that needed a business partner. No, friends, God wants to own you. All of you. You're like your vision for the future, your, your deepest desires, your plans for today, your schedule, your to-do list, your calendar, your family, your heart. He wants you to die to self and live to Christ. He wants you to give up it all for his name's sake. God wants it all. God wants to own you. Or as the Apostle Paul so radically put it, it's slavery. Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit gets to the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. So the reality is, is we're all owned by something. It's either the slavery of sin that leads to death, or it's the slavery of God that leads to eternal life. The question, are you a slave of God? I mean, that that's quite the altar call, isn't it? That's quite the evangelism strategy. 
It's not, do you know that God has a plan and purpose for your life? Of course he does. The question is, are you a slave of God? Because you don't get the other without asking or answering that question. Are you a slave of God? Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy got it. That word servant in the Greek is doulos. It doesn't mean church volunteer. It, it doesn't mean um, just someone that uses their time for those that are in need. It means slave. It means bond servant. So are you a slave or a bond servant of Christ Jesus because God wants to own you? Because God wants to own me. And if we are, if we are owned by God in Christ Jesus, if we are a bondservant of Christ Jesus, well, then that moves us to today's message. We are owned by God and invited to partner with each other for the sake of Christ. It's the local church. It's East River Park. It's men and women owned by God in Christ, partnering together for the sake of the gospel. Men and women of, of every church background, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Restoration Movement, Presbyterian, Methodist, the list goes on. It's locking arms for the gospel. Men and women of, of every non-existent church background, so broken families, unbelieving families, addicted families, abusive families, locking arms for the gospel. Since God owns it all, including his children, you and I are invited to partner together in the most earth-shattering, eternal life-altering, hope-of-the-world mission. It's the local church. So, let me show you from God's word why we should partner together. We're, we'll be in uh, Philippians 4. Again, if you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, uh, the full text is in the bulletin. But as we do every week, let's pray together. God, I, I pray first that we would come to that humble realization that, that you're not seeking to partner with whatever desire we've had since a child. You're not, you're not seeking to team up with the things that we've got on our schedule. God, you want it all. The brothers and sisters in Christ are bondservants of Christ Jesus. And since that is true, God, teach us what it means from your word to partner together for the gospel, that we partner together in the local church for your name's sake. Show us what that might mean today from your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. It's from the river to the town. The gospel was spread. A church was born in Philippia or Philippi, uh, the leading city of Macedonia. The affection that Paul felt toward these people, like just watching this church plant grow, just watching these lives changed, a mutual love where Paul loved the church, the church loved Paul. And so while he sat in a Roman prison, he wrote a letter, a letter of encouragement, 
a letter of thanksgiving. And so for the sake of context, we'll pick it up again in verse 10 to keep our focus, but we'll keep our focus on verses 14 through 18. So these are the men, the words of a man that are owned by God in Christ Jesus. These are the words of a man that understood what it meant to partner with the local church. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Well, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And yet, verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I mean, even in Thessalonica, you sent, you sent me help for my needs once, again, once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you, you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I'm going to answer this question from our passage this morning. Why should we partner with the local church? Why should we partner with the local church? A few things that we see in the text. Point one, if you're a note taker, is we should partner because not every, everyone can or will. Not everyone can or will. Look at verse 14 again. It's, Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. That, that word share has a deeper meaning than just what our English translations reveal. It means fellowship. It means partnership. It means that Paul, what Paul is alluding to at the beginning of this letter in Philippians. So this is Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. Paul explains what that means. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I, I hold you all in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Through that lens, read, reread verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. As we partner together for the gospel, as we partake together the grace of Christ, it was kind of you to share my trouble in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Church, do we, do we see each other like that? Do we have fellowship like that? Because when I, like when I say fellowship, it's more than what can just be found once a week on a Sunday morning. I mean, I know it's cliche, but it is. It's, it's doing life together. It's doing ministry together. It's connecting in person. It's connecting online. It's, I mean, it's getting to know someone so well that you know how to pray for them before it ends up on the church prayer list. 
the biblical understanding of fellowship is centered around the work of the ministry. It's centered around the gospel. So my question is, how are you choosing to fellowship with this local church body outside of the Sunday hour? It's partly what Paul is getting at. I mean, he's, he's been in the ministry trenches with them. And this church was kind to him in his troubles. So how are they kind? How are they kind? Well, um, friends, they sent him financial support. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. So in Acts chapter 16, we know that Paul went to Macedonia to preach the gospel. In Acts 16, we know that the gospel exploded through the city through the work of Paul and the early converts. In Acts 16, we know that the local church was born. So when we get to Philippians 4, Paul is saying that this church financially supported him even after he left that area. Why would a church do that? I mean, why would the church financially back Paul? Well, because they wanted to see the birth of more local churches just like them. So I, I think it's important to, to state the obvious in this series, the, the obvious of, of the passage, that Paul, Paul was a missionary and church planter. Okay, so this passage is not about why Christians should tithe to the local church. This passage is about what happens when Christians do tithe to the local church. What happens when Christians faithfully give? Well, the gospel goes forth through the sustainability and the creation of local churches. And we see that in the text. Some churches didn't do that. You know, I don't know, maybe they didn't care. Uh, maybe some of these churches didn't have the financial resources to do it. I think the contextual pr uh, clues prove that the other churches, they didn't really care that much, as we'll see. Not everyone can or will financially partner with the local church, but Philippi, no, they, they financially backed the proclamation of the gospel. Even when Paul went to Thessalonica, the place he traveled to after he left Macedonia, the church in Philippi continued to financially support him. What about East River Park? Are we going to be known um, as a church for our financial generosity? Will we be a church known for financially supporting this local church and the birth of, of new local churches? All right, well, you know, this, this isn't the wealthiest area in the country. Carter County has, has drastically grown over the past few decades, for good or bad, but this area, this area is not on the map for being the wealthiest area in America. So how, how are we going to be known for being financially generous? Can't we just be generous with our time? Can't we just be generous with our volunteer hours? Well, I would gently say yes and no, because, because being wealthy doesn't equal being generous. I'll prove it. 
This is Paul's harsh words to the wealthy church in Corinth, harsh words that they're not being as generous as the believers in Philippi. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Some churches won't give. Some people, even people with plenty of money, won't give. Philippi, the brothers and sisters in Macedonia, they gave in their extreme poverty. They gave according to their means, and some of them even gave beyond their means. So let's be real clear. It wasn't because they had plenty to give. It was because they had a heart of financial generosity to see the gospel go forth in the local church. It's a heart of poor believers for the poor and needy believers that were in Jerusalem. I mean, what, what kind of church will we be? Oh, that was loud. All right. Y'all good? I felt like that was the answer. What was, did anyone catch that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> To be truthful, we're kind of a mixed bag in this local church. Some of us have plenty of money. Some of us are struggling to buy the basics. I think regardless, will we be known for financially partnering with this local church and other local churches? It's not a bank balance thing. It's a heart thing. So could Paul write of us. And you, East River Park, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Elizabeth, to no church would financially partner with me in giving and receiving only you. Even when I went to another town to start a church, you still sent me help. I mean, not everyone can, sure, but not everyone will, will we? Well, like, will we partner with the local church out of a financially generous heart? Will I? So why should we partner with the local church? Let me give you a second one from the passage. We should partner because we are investing in eternity. We're investing in eternity. Verse 17 of our passage this morning, Paul writes, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And say, y'all, like that must be the heart of every preacher, church leader, missionary. Not that I seek the gift. Like my heart in this, this series, and really any time, is not to seek money from the saints, which I fully realize like, might feel like that at this point. To even do a financial giving series every year certainly feels like that's, that's our intention, that I'm seeking more and more money for this church and for ministry. And friends, that's just not the heart behind it. That's not the Apostle Paul's heart. So what am I really seeking for you and for myself, it's eternal fruit that increases to your credit. So Stephen Lawson, he puts it like this. I think it could be helpful. Whenever someone invests in a business venture, they're allowed to share in the profits earned. By the way of metaphor, 
This is how the financial support of the Philippians is profiting them. By their monetary gifts, the Philippians are storing up an eternal profit for themselves in heaven. Jesus had taught the same. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. In like manner, eternal dividends are being posted to the Philippians' account in heaven. That is the, the gift I seek for you and for myself. That, that to financially invest in eternal work in this life, it's really to invest in an eternal reward in heaven. And I'm going to be real careful when I say that. Knowing that there are plenty of prosperity gospel preachers that use that, that twisted logic for personal gain. I'm not telling you this so I can like secretly go out and buy a vacation house. I'm telling you this because it's the truth of the word. We financially partner with the local church because there is an eternal reward. That is the gift I seek. Not to become wealthy in this life, but to increase the fruit of heaven, an eternal investment. So think of it this way. Some of us are blessed to invest in this life for this life. Not everyone. Some of us might have a 401k at work. You might have put money in a Roth IRA. You might have bought cryptocurrency. Whether that was wise or not, who knows? You might have purchased some real estate. There are countless men and women online that are going to tell you, how, uh, how to invest your money in this life for this life. I'm not one of them. Don't, like, please don't take my advice in that area. But I can speak on investing money in this life for the next life. It's Philippians 3, starting in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't hold dual citizenship. We don't. We are a citizen of heaven and a visitor of earth. And since that's true, well then I would say let's consider how to financially invest as visitors of earth and citizens of heaven. We should partner because we're investing in eternity. That, like, that's, that's the gift I seek. That's the fruit that increases, not to my credit, to your credit. Lastly, why should we partner with the local church? We should partner because simply that's, that's the method of supply. It is. Verse 18 of our passage, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having first received from Epaphroditus the first gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and, and a pleasing to God. Epaphroditus is the man that delivered the care package to Paul. He's the man that would carry this letter back to the local church, and he was a man that understood what sacrifice meant. Just about his life. This is Philippians 2, verse 25. Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been in distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am 
the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The church had literally put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel, so money was a little bit less of a sacrifice. Paul describes the financial gift in the passage as a fragrant offering, a sacrificial giving as a gift of God. It's literally why we say all the time at East River Park, we see giving as an act of worship. We don't say that because it sounds better than give us your money. It's, it's, it's biblical. It's in the Bible. Financial giving is an act of worship. So I have to ask why. Why does this thing cost money? Isn't the gospel free? Isn't reading your Bible free? Isn't praying free? Isn't evangelism free? Yes, yes it is. Well then, isn't gospel ministry free? No, no it's not. It wasn't for Paul, and it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, even walked around with a financial treasure. Not a good one, but he had one. Even Jesus, the Son of God, who, who could literally turn water into wine and multiply food for thousands. This is Luke 8, starting in verse 1. Soon afterward, he, this is Jesus, went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and the twelve were with him. And also some, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Jesus, the Son of God, was not wealthy on earth. He, he depended upon the financial generosity of others. Even the ministry of Jesus was financially supported. Why? Well, simply, that's, that's the method of supply. The fi financially partnering together for the sake of the gospel that we financially give as, as an act of worship. And I, I, I think we could clearly say the method of supply is a method that goes after your heart. So God owns everything. So he can certainly do whatever he wants. And what he wants is for his children to partner together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We depend on each other. We partner together. It has and always will be this way. It's the method of supplies to the local church. So um, I messaged the church staff this week to kind of brainstorm a backup plan in case the winter weather uh, caused issues. Um, just running through a mental list of questions in my head. Um, what if it snows a ton on Saturday night? What if we can only have one service? What if we don't have enough children's ministry volunteers? What if the worship team can't show up? What if there's no heat in the sanctuary? What if we plow the church parking lot and turn it into an ice skating rink? Like, as a pretty anxious person, 
I constantly live in a state of what ifs. And some of that I, I would say is healthy because I'm always thinking of, of some sort of backup plan. Um, I'm always thinking like what to do if plan A does not work. That's, that's probably a good call for all of us in 2024. Uh, like what's the backup plan? Let me be really blunt. There is no backup plan for the world. The only plan is the ministry of the local church. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, all right, yeah, but what do you say? What do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter is not the rock, the Pope is not the rock, Christ is the rock, and on Christ he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I... Maybe I'm just speaking for me. I want to partner with the plan that I know is not going to fail. Church is plan A. There is no backup plan. Jared Wilson, he put it like this. Brothers and sisters, we are part of a kingdom that will demolish all pretenders and will fulfill in furious fashion the promise of redemption already sealed for us through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Not because we are strong, but because he is. Not because we've got it all figured out, but because he is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Isn't that weird? That you don't have to be cool, big, strong, technologically savvy, politically fashionable, or culturally relevant. You just have to repent of your sin and commit your weird, broken church to its king. It's the sinners he wants. It's the losers. He's choosing your weird, messy church, and a pandemic or out of it is God's plan A for your world, and there is no plan B. So yeah, that's why we must partner with the local church. That's your main point, and then I'll pray. We must partner with the local church. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful. Uh, for this local church, for East River Park, for men and women that love your word, that love the ministry of the gospel, that, that fellowship with each other beyond just a good morning, but God, to, that really get to know each other, to pray for each other, to do ministry together, to see the gospel go out. Uh, not just in, in our church, but uh, throughout the city, to the nations. God, create in us a desire, um, a, a passion for the local church. And so I'm thankful for the conviction of, of your word um, and the encouragement that it brings. And we pray these things in your son's name.